How do I tell good ideas from bad ideas? Um, I go back and forth until I come up with a good idea. Between the bad and the good, sometimes you find a place in the middle. Welcome to the Idea Generation Podcast, a show about creative entrepreneurship. My name is Noah Callahan-Bever, and each week I'll be speaking with some of the most innovative ideators in culture and trying to figure out how they make their creative decisions. This week, I'm talking to Steven Victor, a music industry executive who went from Interscope Records intern to managing Pusha T to running his own label, Victor Victor, where he cultivated the career of Pop Smoke. This podcast is brought to you by the good people at Shopify. Feeling that entrepreneurial itch? Turn your passion into a business with Shopify. They've got everything you need to start, run, or grow your business. Check out shopify.com slash idea to learn more. In the early 2000s, Brooklyn native Stephen Victor didn't know exactly what he wanted to do with his life, but he knew that he wanted to work in music. After getting an internship opportunity through a college roommate, he soon found himself cutting his teeth at Interscope Records and working under publicist Junior Suriel. Stephen was working for free, but that didn't bother him because he was more concerned with creating the relationships. Father's an accountant. Yeah, used to be. How did his career sort of inform your ambitions? Didn't. <laughs> In no way? I don't think so. Did you know growing up what you wanted to do? You know, I, you know, I, d- I had different ideas. You know, at one point I wanted to be a lawyer. Another point I wanted to be uh, like a car designer. I think growing up those were like probably the two things that I thought about. Initially I was like, you know, I'll go to school. I'll, um, this was after high school. I'll go to school and then I'll go to law school or I'll go get an MBA. For like two seconds I thought about that. And then I was like, this ain't it. When you went to Morehouse, did you have any sense of like where you were going? Well, I majored in English and psychology. At that point, I still was like, okay, maybe I'll still go to law school. When I got to college, I, I still wasn't like, oh, I'm going to work in the music industry. It was like, I was still like figuring it all out. When did the music industry become sort of... An idea? Like the year before I went to college, like my best friend had an internship. and he, But he used to be a producer. I always looked at it, oh, he's talented in music. He has musical ability, right? So... He had an internship and I remember he was, I asked him, I was like, yo, what's this internship? And he was like, oh, I'm like an intern at a record label. I get coffee. I, you know, he was describing to me what he was doing on a day-to-day basis. And I was like, that doesn't seem like it has anything to do with um, musical ability. And he was like, no, it doesn't. So I was like, you can work in a music business and not (laughs) have any talent. And he was like, yeah, there's like, you know, there's, this type of position, there's, that type, there's managers, there's producers, there's A&Rs, there's marketing people. And I was like, hmm, interesting. He tells you about this experience, then you go... Um, no, so he tells me about this experience and whatever. This is like the beginning this of is, the This is in your, your senior year of high school? Yeah, this is, yeah. So I'm just like, cool. You know, that's, I was like, I want to go to work with you one day. I want to go to get... Yeah. But, you know, nothing came of that. And then when I went to college, my roommate's dad had a record label. Okay, and that it, this is Hawk uh, Islam? Yeah. So I was like, yo, get me an internship with your dad. And he was like, okay, cool. Now, he had a label, had a label that was within, part of the Universal system? Yeah. With Maya, Drew Hill? Drew Hill, and like some other acts. But those were prominent ones. Okay, so he, did he get you this internship? I went and had an interview with him. And I was like, y'all want an internship? He was like, all right, cool. Um, and I was like, how much does it pay? He was like, how much does it pay? It doesn't pay. <laughs> 
And I was like, nah, I need to, I need to get paid. Cause I, at the time I thought interns got paid. I didn't know that it was, you didn't get paid. Yeah. So he was like, all right, I'll, I'll pay you. I think he was paying me a couple hundred dollars, whatever. But he was like, I'll pay you. And he gave me an internship. So what kind of work were you doing? Like, um, making photocopies, uh, grabbing food, like anything. Just basically, I was basically like an, a, not a glorified assistant. I was his assistant's assistant, essentially. So I would answer the phone. Um, I would just do anything around the office that they asked me to do. So what about this kind of pulled you in and made you feel like um, this is something you wanted to pursue? I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, at the time, you know, I was just kind of just going through the motions, right? And then what ended up happening is that I would I'd be walking up and down the hallway and I bumped into this, I bumped into, you know, Junior. Yeah. I bumped into Junior one day. and I, I didn't bump into him. I walked into his office. And Junior Surreal. Yes. He was a, a publicist at Interscope. At Interscope. So I guess Hawk's office was on the same floor. Okay. So I'm walking down the hall and I see a bunch of activity going in and out of this guy's office. So I walk into his office um, and I'm like, yo, what do you do? So he tells me. And I'm like, oh shit. I was like, yo, I interned for, for Hawk. Um, I think this was, I was about to graduate maybe, college. And I was like, yo, can I intern for you? So I was in his office and I was just sitting there watching like what he was doing. He like, let me sit in his office. I don't remember why, but he let me sit in his office. He was like on the phone with, I think like Jada Kiss, but he was doing a lot. He was doing a lot more than Hawk was doing. Okay. You know, just as far as I can see, it seemed like he was doing a lot more. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I want to intern for this guy. He's like, he got a bunch of action going on. (laughs) So I was like, yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to graduate. Um, let me intern for you when I graduate. And he was like, sure. Here's my info. Just call me when you graduate. <laughs> so you just hit him up? Yeah, I hit him up. I was like, oh, this, this is interesting. <laughs> he seems like he leads a pretty interesting life. Was there no friction in any of this? Like there's no like calling multiple times? Like no. he was, it was just like, he was okay, like, cool. Steven, yeah, I remember yeah. you. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. You know, once you start seeing parts of the business, did you... You know, you were obviously drawn to Junior and to yeah. the PR side. Was that just because of the opportunity that was there? Or did you really think that that was a part of the business you could you wanted to focus no, on? No, so once I realized, okay, you can work in the music industry and not be like a producer, a rapper, or a singer, I started like researching like different um, careers in the music industry, right? And I was like, oh, I want to be a manager or I want to one day own a record label. So then what ended up happening is as I was, when I was interning with Junior, you know, I was dealing with like different departments um, within the industry. And I, I, I like quickly realized that at the time, at least the publicists like interacted with all the different departments, like A&R, marketing. Um, So I was like, oh, I'm going to take this really seriously because if I, if I'm able to interact with all these different departments and all these different areas um, of the business, like that's just information and knowledge that I can take so that one day when I become a manager or an A&R or a label executive, like I'll have that experience. Whereas like if you just come into the music business as like an A&R or a marketing person, you know, at least that's how I looked at it at the time. You know, his personality was one where he was kind of just like, oh, you want to learn about that? Cool, go ahead. It wasn't, he didn't block anything off. Whatever I asked him, he was just like, oh, cool. You want to do this? You want to do that? Whatever you want to do, like, go ahead. <laughs> so you're starting to, to deal with artists? and Yeah, I started dealing with artists like really quickly. Okay, what kind of stuff? Um, like covering photo shoots, um, like dealing with like their managers. I was basically like Junior's assistant, so, and he had a lot going on. So at the time it was like uh, Jadakiss, Styles, Eve. Um, there was a group called City High that he was yeah. working with. 
um, Common. Um, I'm trying to think who else. There's probably some others, but those are the main ones I can remember. So you're you're basically just being his assistant, handling yeah. whatever he. I'm an intern though. Okay. So I'm not an assistant. Are you getting paid anything? Yeah. I mean, Junior was paying me out of his pocket, so oh. I wasn't getting paid by the company. So how long did you end up interning for almost free? Somewhere between two and three years. Was there any point where you were questioning the amount of time and energy you were investing into this? No. <laughs> Not once. You just felt like, if I just keep doing this, it's going to lead to something? It wasn't so much if I keep doing it, it's going to lead to something. It was more so, whatever, this is just the road. Like, I, I wasn't looking at it like, oh, man, I've been doing this shit for two years or three years. Like, when am I going to get my break? Mm -hmm. It was just like, I just looked at it as process. I, never, I didn't think anything of it. Because I didn't, I was living at home, so it wasn't like, oh, I need money. <laughs> and, and was your dad stressing you at all about this? Yeah, he was like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? <laughs> how, how often were you having these, like, you know, the, like, come to Jesus conversations? With my with dad? Him? Yeah. All the time. He, but to me, it wasn't come to Jesus. I was just like, whatever, dude. Whatever, dude. <laughs> so what would you say was your big break? I think that, you know, throughout the whole time, Junior was trying to get me um, hired as, like, a real employee. I just, I don't, you know, I didn't know the the politics or the the finances at the time but he you know he wasn't able to hire an assistant okay so it, when he ended up hiring me as his assistant officially like it wasn't like one thing that happened and he was like oh i can hire you now okay. like you just did xyz so it was kind of like oh i have this budget now and i can hire you more so than it was anything that i did or he did it's just like timing just worked out at one point so it was just a matter of just yes, sticking then, around exactly, until something until something yeah gave okay. yeah which i did i never once thought that this is not going to work out. <laughs> I, I feel you. <laughs> How important is having the ability to build like these relationships with artists? I think it's probably like the most important thing. Not just with artists, I think with just anyone. I think the relationships are like the most important. Do you feel like that always came to you naturally? Yeah, because I'm like very hot or cold. Like I either, <laughs> I'm joined to you or I'm joined away from you. <laughs> So how do you deal with that? You know, it, when you're in publicity, you have to sell. You know, the crazy part is that I remember I had this conversation with my sister one time because she's a publicist, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to talk about the artist, but I remember I was, I was going upstairs and she was complaining about this artist that she was working with. She was like, yo, they want me to get press for this, this, this. And I, I remember saying there, I was walking down the stairs and I said, it's shit. Like, just tell them it's shit and you don't want to deal with it. <laughs> I just went about my, <laughs> I went about my business, and I remember she was like, "What? What are you? It's shit." Just tell you. She's like, "I can't do it. That's my job." I was like, "Yes, you can. Tell them that it's shit, and like, you know, it's shit." Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> let we, that be that. <laughs> which is a, a tough thing to do when you're working at a in the major label system, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. At the time, I didn't know that. Though. I was just like, I was fortunate enough to have a boss. Junior was my boss, and he kind of like understood me, so he. <laughs> He would like let me get away with doing something like that. Somebody else might have been like, "Yo, you work here. This is your job." Like, and then you were like, Psh, "Set off the smoke bomb." And <laughs> exactly. And then, <laughs> well, <laughs> gingerbread man. <laughs> yep. Telling the label that their artist sucks and isn't worth working isn't something that most people in the music industry are willing to do. But then again, Steven's path wasn't meant to be conventional. Instead of focusing on money, he focused on getting near to the heat, like the Clips who had just dropped their new mixtape, We Got It For Cheap. 
So instead of waiting for something to be handed to him, he asked Pusha T directly for an opportunity to work with the Virginia duo. So I started working with Slim, right? So this was probably like my first project that I had on my own. Did you have a strategy? Did you have a thought process behind like how you were going to approach that? I don't think, I don't know if that necessarily had like a strategy. My, my strategy was always like, if it's, and this is back then in the PR world, right? Mm -hmm. if, if it's heat, like just get it to the masses and make sure they cover it. So that was like my strategy with Slim. You know what I'm saying? And like, I thought the music was good and then he was paired with Pharrell. So I was like, oh, this is easy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then me, he and I, like we developed a friendship. So it was like, you know, easier to work with him because he let me in. So I was able to get information that helped me tell his story more. So you developed a relationship with Slim Thug. Yeah. That rollout goes relatively well. Yeah. I mean, I know it wasn't the highest selling record, but for it, me, I it was very well, well received. Yeah, it was well received and I, I did my job really well. Okay. You know, so. So how did you go from that to working with the clips? A friend of mine was, a friend of mine, Nicole, she used to work for Star Trek. Nicole Planton? Yeah. So I was always a huge Clips fan. I went down to Nicole's office and I was like, yo, you need to get me a, a meeting with Pharrell. And she was like, for what? <laughs> I was like, I want to work with the Clips. And she was like, okay, well, I, I can't get you a meeting with Pharrell, but I can get you on the phone with Pusha. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And you're what, 25 at this time? I get, yeah, I suppose. Something like Somewhere that. Somewhere around that. Yeah, 25, 26. Okay. And she was like, she was like, I can get you on the phone with Pusha. I'll give, him, I'll give him your number and tell him to call you. Um, I was like, okay, cool. And then he, he called me, I think, the, the next day. And I was like, yeah, I was talking to Nicole. I'm a huge fan. Um, this is what I think I could do for you. And what, what was that? You know, he was putting those mixtapes out. And mm -hmm. I was like, yo, this, like, this shit's like really good. But, you know, nobody knows about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, they were in a weird spot. They had been on Arista, right? Yeah. And then Arista got folded into Jive and... Yeah. It was kind of like... They were like kind of like in hiatus. Okay. You know? Um, but they were putting out these mixtapes, and I was like, yo, this shit is, is so good. Um, and at the time, it was like, the way you would get heard if it wasn't radio would be through press. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so I was like, yo, I can do... I was like, this is what I've been able to do for these artists. I could do the same thing for you. Um, and I, I'll, I'll do it for free. Like, just give me a, a, a shot, and I'll show you what I can do. And then if you like it, you know, we could talk about maybe you paying me or... Um, figuring something out. So you were willing to pay it forward and just work for free, of on yeah. the strength? For sure. Okay. Not, not a lot of people would be willing <laughs> to do that. Yeah, so I was, he was like, okay, cool. In that early time, I mean, you know, obviously you and I became friends Toshi through Toshi and whatnot. You managed to make a lot of connections within the media circles, I think, in a more organic way than many publicists. Yeah. It didn't ever feel like, you know, when... I was pitching you shit, Yeah, right? exactly. And you also knew when it was good and when it wasn't good. Yeah. And how to treat both. There were, there <laughs> were the, I need a favor yeah, calls, yeah. and then there was the like, yo, this shit is crazy, you should check it out. Yeah. Was that by design? Um, I don't think it was by design, because I think that, I think if it was by design, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have never been so honest. I remember one time I was, I was on the phone with um, like an editor, I forgot what magazine, and I was talking about, I don't want to say the artist's name, but I was like, yo, this artist has this album coming out. And I remember he said to me, he was like, this artist is shit. And I was like, what? He was like, this artist is shit and you know it. Why are you peddling me shit? That might have been me. Yeah. And I was like, you're right, it's shit. But I... 
No, but that honesty <laughs> goes a long way. Yeah. I mean, because then when you came with the with the clips, yeah. uh, second album, I, it was really good. But I, I think that, um, like, I'm always looking to have a good time. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't. I, it was never like deliberate. So I think that when I when you said it was shit, I was like, it was so funny. <laughs> At the time, it was like, yo, this is like. It was like the most funny. That was the funniest moment for that week for me. It was like, yo, I can't believe. It. <laughs> so it was like never deliberate. It was just, you know, I think I was just fortunate enough to a lot of the stuff that I was working on, like I was a fan of. Yeah. You know, because I was I was in a weird place. I wasn't. I was in this. I was Junior's assistant, but he didn't treat me like an assistant. So I didn't have any projects that I was responsible for. It was almost kind of like, okay, I'm your assistant. I, I handle admin, but. There's like a couple artists that I like their music. I like them as artists. So I'm just going to dive into it. Okay. So it was, you know, it wasn't like I had a job and it was like, oh, you're responsible for this artist. It was more so I'm someone's administrative assistant. and So you can tap in when Yeah, so I would just really tap inspired. in. When yeah. I, exactly. Okay. Like I want to I wanna be in this space for long enough to get really good at it, learn a lot, make really good relationships, and then get the fuck out. Okay. That's one thing that I noticed. I was like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get to the place where I'm like, an actual publicist, like a senior level publicist, and where I have responsibilities, like Same. my sister, where she's like, oh, I'm working this artist. And Whatever like, comes down the pipe, she's just got to deal with. Yeah, and, yeah. Whether she wants to or not. So I was like, I got to get out of here, and I got to get out of here fast. So how did you start that transition? So yeah, it was you know, I started working with the clips. I started working really closely with them. So then, you know, I had like two mentors, right? So it was Chris Smith with Nelly, who mm -hmm. you know. I learned a lot from him. And then there was Tony Draper with the clips. He was managing the clips at the time when I was doing their PR. Yeah, I mean, Tony is obviously the brains behind Suave House yeah. and a just incredibly ill dude in general. Yeah. What was he exposing to you, you two and, and showing? So him and Chris were like completely different. Chris was like a manager and he looked at things one way, but Draper wasn't a manager. He was a, he owned the record label and he was really, him and Pusha were friends. So Pusha asked him to manage him. Because okay. he knew so much about the business. So his perspective never came as a manager. It was as a label owner. And he was kind of brought in to sort of help them yeah. get Navigate, through that situation. To get through that situation, exactly. Because uh, he had like relationships with like Barry Weiss and different people. Okay. Um, so with Chris, I learned one set of skills, like as far as a manager. And then with Draper, I was learning like um, entrepreneur skills. He was like, always treat the label's money like it's your own money. And I never, you know, he would always say that. And then, this is back when you were like taking the company car to yeah, Foxwoods for Yeah, I'm just like, overnight. what is this guy talking about? Like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yo, always treat the label's money as your own money. He's like, that's how I approach it. And I'm like, I, I remember thinking to myself, no, it's get the most money out the label <laughs> and stay on recoup. Like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> you know? <laughs> He would always be like, yo, you want to be in a recruit position. You want to, you know, you want to treat this like a business. You don't want to treat it like an ATM. And I'm like 26, 26. I'm like, no, you want to treat it like an ATM. <laughs> like not. <laughs> so, uh, like, you know, he would always like be like, yo, you always have to read the fine print. You always have to structure your deals in a way that um, is beneficial to you on the back end, not the front end. Always forget about the front end. And I would be like, no. The front end, the front end. I wouldn't say this thing, but that's what I'd be thinking that's in my mind. Think, yeah. So how are you feeling, you know, just like in terms of 
where you want to be and how quickly it's coming to you. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm having like such a good time. Mm -hmm. And each year I'm like progressing. You know, I don't want it to necessarily come too fast. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine where I'm at. I'm fine with where I'm at right now. So I was, I was never looking past where I was at. Okay. So I was you, always fine with my position. You weren't like looking at the 30 under 30 lists? No. And... I, didn't even, I didn't even know about 30 under 30. That's how, you know, <laughs> at the time. I didn't learn about 30 under 30 until I was probably like 35. And I was like, oh, there's a list out here? <laughs> I need to be on this list. <laughs> so you're running with Tony Draper. How often are you guys communicating? Every day. Okay. Because he's telling me like stories. So I'm calling him every night and I'm like, tell me about this. Tell me about that. You know? And he has like, slew of stories and he's telling me stories he's telling me you know why this deal was successful why that one wasn't um and he's just like putting me on the game and while while this is happening you're working the second clips album yeah the and second I'm, one or the first one this is still the first one no, i'm no, still no. working the first album no no not not lord willing no yeah the second album i'm sorry the yes. yeah the second i album. have no fear yeah yeah so and are the guys happy with what you've been able to do for them yeah from a press standpoint they're like well, you, got, you got them the double XL. I got them double XL. I got them New York. I was, just, you know, I was really good at my job. <laughs> they gave you something to work with too. Of course, but still, like, you yeah. know. <laughs> no, no. I mean, getting the classic rating yeah. was not It's not guaranteed. easy. Like, I did, I, There's a lot of great albums that come out that don't exactly. get the double XL. It's all about um, strategy, right? Clips were happy with Steven, and Steven was happy to learn from OGs like Suave House's Tony Draper and Nelly Furtado's manager Chris Smith, just as he had learned from Hawk Islam and Junior Suriel before them. His next step was to go from publicist to manager, a risky move under any circumstances, but particularly considering what was about to happen to the Clips next. So how did you make that transition from being the Clips publicist to being their manager? I imagine that's it pretty big step yeah, for sure. and a change in, you know, your responsibility and something that's completely unproven, you know, you're unproven at. How did that happen? I think it's, you know, I, I've just been, you know, thank God, I've been very fortunate to work with like, like, you know, the opportunity that Junior gave me, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, I'm very thankful for it. So the same way I got the opportunity from Junior the same way I got the opportunity from Pusha. It wasn't, you know, even though I, I always wanted to be their manager, I never stepped, you know, out of balance and was like, yo, I, I think I can do this. You know, Pusha was the one that called me one night and he was like, yo, um, I really like what you've been able to do with us from, the, from um, a press standpoint, plus, you know, the other things that you've been able to help us with. And, you know, I think, I think it would be cool if you played a role in... He wasn't like, can you be my manager? He was like, I think it would be cool if you played a role in management. Okay. So what were the other things that he was talking about outside of the press that you were helping? Um, well, you remember, I was, so I was always... I'm just like naturally a curious person. So I'm always looking for information. Even if the information might benefit me, might not, but I always want information. I'm always like looking for information. So... Um, you know, he would ask me questions and I, I would, if I didn't have the answer, I would go find the answer. So I think he was like, oh, this guy's pretty smart and resourceful. And if I ask him to do something, even if it's not within the scope of his work, he'll go and um, like either get it done or get me the information I'm looking for. So when he said that, did, did you think that this was going to be like a life-changing yeah. opportunity? 
for sure. Okay. <laughs> and how did you, you know, prepare yourself for that? Um, I don't know if I did any one thing, but it was like, this was something that I always wanted. So when I got it, it was kind of like, I felt like I was already there. Like whenever I'm trying to get something or whenever I'm pursuing something, I, I don't want to say like I manifest it, but I, I like pause. I assume the position, right? Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm like always, I, I always behave the way I want to be viewed. So like if I, if I'm working with someone and I want to be promoted or I want to be, um, I want to take on more responsibility. I, I do it before I'm asked. And then I, hope that it'll come back. And, and if it, it doesn't, it's always like an experience, right? Like all the people that I admire, whether it's like Jimmy Iovine or like Lucien, and I think that they all have that in common. They don't wait for someone to give them something. They go and make it happen. Pusha calls you and invites yeah. you to be part of the management team. Yeah. What was your strategy to sort of make sure that that stuck and that you were able to sort of excel? Um, so in my head, when I got the phone call and we had that conversation, it, it happened so much sooner than I expected that I remember I went home and I was, I was excited, but I was also like, okay, what's next? Like, how do I, um, how do I make an impact? Because, you know, Draper's like so much more experienced than I am. Um, and I'm like, how do I make an impact from being just a publicist to helping out on a management front? So, you know, at, that was like, I had to take a step back and try to figure it out and think about what I was going to do to add value. So did you work in collaboration with Tony for yeah. a period? Okay. And then he sort of handed it off at the end? Yeah, exactly. And that was just because he, this was not, he was just, just doing this as a favor for push? Exactly. Um, and, you know, he was, he had other things going on. What are the things that you all of a sudden are now dealing with that you had never even considered? If I'm being honest, like I was, it was like, fuck up after fuck up after fuck up, right? So, you know, because I'm, Draper's no longer there, but, you know, being a manager is not just, like, picking phone calls and fielding calls and, you know, booking concerts. It's like, it's so many different things in between and beyond all of that and keeping it all together. So, you know, at certain points I would get, I would, like, miss certain things. You know, it was, it was like, a lot of mistakes. It was, like, a lot of growing pains with Pusha. Because the same thing happened with Junior. Like, I think that there were times where I would, you know, I would mess things up just because, you know, just the nature of, like, going through things. You have growing pains and you make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, right? So um, but I think I was fortunate enough to have, like, Junior or even Chris at the time. So I feel like, you know, throughout my life, like, people have been really, really patient with me, whether it was, like, my parents, my wife, the people I work with. Like, I've always... What, why do you think people extend you that grace? Because I think that people know that, like, my wrongdoings are not, like, intentional. Mm -hmm. If I make a mistake, it's not because I'm deliberately trying to do something wrong. It's, it's coming from a place of maybe ignorance or... But it's never coming from a place of, like, ill will or harm. Fairly shortly after you start doing the, you know, complete 360 of the management, yeah. the group comes a apart. Yeah. Did you see it coming? You know, it's interesting because Malice had said would say things to me, right? So in hindsight, like if I was paying attention, I would have been like, oh, okay, I can, but sometimes like you're oblivious to what's going on. You just think that someone might be going through a moment and not, and that moment is going to pass. 
he would just be down on the situation or it wasn't necessarily that he'd be down on it he would just say like yo this is not what i need to be doing this is not what i want to be doing um i'm not okay with this i'm not okay with that um this is what i want to be doing this is what i'm thinking about doing next so there were like signs there i just how do you find out malice said it to me one day but i was like oh sure maybe one day like said it to you like yeah i'm out like yo bro i'm about to write this book and this is what I'm about to do next. But I'm thinking I'm gonna write this book after my career as a rapper's over and this is what I'm gonna do next. I'm not thinking he means like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, he said that and then I think maybe like a week or two later, Pusha was like, yo, this is what's going on. And, you know, we need to pivot. You guys were on tour at the time? Yeah. I don't remember. We were like, I don't want I want to say like maybe Atlanta, but we were somewhere. Maybe Atlanta, maybe Vegas. Were you concerned? I mean, this is obviously your only client at the time. No? What did you think was going to happen? Pusha would go solo. He'd have success, and then they'd get together after, you know. Some amount of time? <laughs> yeah, some amount, exactly. You're coming off of two sort of mids projects. Yeah. But in your mind, you're thinking, Pusha solo, this is going to happen. This is going to happen, exactly. And this is going to change all of our lives. So how did you will that into existence? Or how did the two of you will that into existence? By just doing that, we were like, okay, we're also fortunate, right? So Because as this is happening, this is all happening at all at the same time. Like Rick Ross called Pusha and was like, yo, I'm in Hawaii with Kanye. Yeah, he wants you to come out to Hawaii and work on his album with him. This is like all happening all in real time. So it's not, you know, yeah. there's not much time to kind of like, okay, let's sit back and figure out what we're going to do. It's like, as we're figuring it out, like, opportunities are coming. So you're already feeling like, okay, this, this Kanye situation, this is going to open doors, this is going to lead to something. I don't know if we were thinking about it like that. It was just, this is what's happening now, and once we, fin- once we get out of Hawaii, we'll go back to figuring out what we're going to do for your career as a solo artist. But this is like an opportunity presenting itself right now. Let's go take care of that, and then we'll figure out the rest. By 2010, Malice was out of the picture, and Steven had to forge Pusha's solo path. His gut was telling him what he needed to do, but he still didn't have a proper plan. An opportunity to join Kanye West in Hawaii struck Steven as an ideal starting point to rebuild from, but he had to get Pusha on board. So you guys go out there, you start working. Very quickly, you realize that Pusha and Ye, as much as they like, are making great art, they just... Approach it's just it very differently. Completely differently, right? So he starts to get interested in just what? Coming, flying back to Virginia to just. Well, yeah, because he, he, for him, it's kind of like, why am I here? Like, if you want me on songs, send me the songs, I'll do them and send them back. That's way more efficient than me sitting in a studio with you for like seven days. And then it's cost effective, it's efficient. Yeah. Like, I can do my thing, you can do your thing. I quickly realized that's not how. Kanye works. He like likes the vibes. Very, yeah, very spur the moment. Go through the process and end up where you're trying to get to, as opposed to anything else. When Pusha decides to leave somewhere, it's abroad. not that he decided to leave. He decided that he wasn't coming back. So you know, we would get on these early morning flights and at like five or six a.m. and to go out there. And I remember we were supposed to go out there one time, and he was like, "I'm not going, man." <laughs> He was like, this is, this is, this ain't it. And I was like, what do you mean? We got to be at the airport in two hours. And he's like, I'm not going. Like, 
send the song, bro. <laughs> There's a studio down the street. I go like, knock out the verse. And I was like, no, nah, we, we, we have to go. Like his process is his process. Like we'll just, he's like, I'm not going. <laughs> he was like, figure it out. But I'm not, I'm not going. <laughs> so I was like, hmm. all righty. You know, but in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking as like these trips are going on, I'm thinking to myself how, like, I think it's a good fit creatively. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, the more they're together creatively, you know, the easier it will be for them to like work together, whether it's for, from a creative standpoint or just a business relationship. At this point, they've only made the one song together that's in the world, the, kind of like a big deal. Yes, exactly. Did you have sort of, as, as his manager, were you like imagining, what if I could get Kanye to produce that, an album for Yeah, him? exactly. Okay. Like this would be, you know, amazing. So you decide to get on the plane even without yeah. push. Yeah, because he's like, figure it out. So I, I said, okay, I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> so I get on the plane without him, go out to Hawaii, and I, I figure it out. What happened? I'm like, okay, he's saying figure it out. What does that mean, figure it out? I'm like, I get, I'll get on the plane. It's, a, I think, a six-hour, maybe like, no, it's an 11-hour flight. Oh, yeah. I'm like, it's an 11-hour flight. I'll get on the flight, and I'll figure, I'll figure out what figuring out means by the time I land. So I, I land and I, I don't have it figured out. <laughs> I, I go to sleep, I wake up and I realize that I forgot my toothbrush. So by this time it's like five o'clock in the morning. So um, I'm like, oh, okay, it's five o'clock in the morning. No one's gonna notice I'm here and ask me what's going on with Pusha. So if, if, any, if there's any a time for me to go to the pharmacy, it'll be now. There's like a pharmacy across the street. And this is because there's the hotel in Waikiki that yeah. like Don... Everyone is staying at, saying, exactly. Yeah. So I don't want to leave and then bump into somebody. And they're like, hey man, where's Pusha? Like we're trying to finish this album. So I'm like, oh, it's five o'clock in the morning. No one's going to notice. I'm not going to bump into anyone. And, you know, I get to the store and I'm going back. And I'm walking across the street and there's a car like flying down the road. And I'm like, yo, who's this? <laughs> And then I'm like, fuck, that looks like Kanye's car. And then the car like breaks and it starts reversing. I'm like, this can't, this, there's no way this is, this is this dude, right? Breaks up and he's like, oh, hey man, where you going? I'm like, back to my room. It's like, where's Pusha? And I'm like, oh man, he's on a flight. He's, he'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> and he's like, oh, why is he not here? We're like, the stomach virus. <laughs> he'll be here tomorrow. And he was like, oh, cool. Uh, we're playing basketball. Like, you want to come? And I'm like, sure. He's like, all right, I'll pick you up at nine o'clock. I'm like, okay. I'm thinking he's, you know, whatever. So nine o'clock comes and uh, you get a call. I get a call from the front desk. Probably like not, not even nine o'clock. Maybe like nine fifteen. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, Mr. West is downstairs for you. I'm like, this guy really. Can't. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, nah, you know. So I, you know, I get in the car and we go play basketball. And on the way back. Like we're talking and he's like asking me questions about the clips and so on and so forth. And, and I'm like, yo, you know, we should do X, Y, Z. And he's like, it's a great idea. We should, you know, there was more to it because someone else was trying to sign Pusha. I said, you know, so we started having a conversation. He's like, yo, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, you know, I, I get back and I, I call Pusha and I'm like, yo, I just had this conversation with Kanye, X, Y, Z. You need to come out here ASAP so we can figure this out. 
He's like, a word? I'm like, yeah. At this point, you are probably getting more inbound interest than... On Pusha? Yeah. Yeah. How are you decide? like, what was your strategy towards building him as the solo artist? It was always, like, what are we going to do to elevate his career? Like, that's how we approached every opportunity. It was never, how much money is this or how much money is that? It's like, okay, is this going to be good for your career moving forward or not? And do you feel like everything sort of built on top, on top of itself? Yeah, because, you know, it was like, okay, we're in a, I don't want to say we're in a standstill because we don't have a deal in place, right? But we're essentially in a standstill. So, you know, we're like, yo, let's put a mixtape out. And that's how the Wrath of God tape came out. Okay. Um, or Fear of God, rather. Yep. And then that was the the Mass Appeal album shortly thereafter, the part yeah, two. Yeah, exactly. And so that, the Mass Appeal album came out came to us because we were still in the middle of doing our deal. So it was right before we, we did the deal with Def Jam, we had the mixtape done and we were about to put it out. And I was, you know, I had this idea. I was like, oh, you know, we have this mixtape. We're going to put it out for free before he does his album deal. I was like, why would we put out for free? We should figure out a way to monetize it independent of what's going on with this deal with Def Jam and good music. Where are your personal ambitions at this point? Like, what are you, are you thinking about what, you know, where you're going to be in? Three? At this time? Yeah. No, at this time, I'm just thinking about how can I make Pusha the biggest artist? That's it. Because I, I also know that I'm smart enough to know that the bigger he becomes, the more opportunities it creates for me. So he signs to good music. Yeah. You guys put out a couple well-received albums. Mm-hmm. Um, and he ends up becoming the president of good music. Yeah. Um, and you then become the head of A&R for yeah. good music. Um, how did those conversations happen? Th- those conversations started with Pusha and Kanye. It was like Kanye... To push it was, I really like how you think. I like your perspective and I like your um, taste in music. And I want you to run the, the company. And Pusha was like, okay, great. Creatively, I can do that. But Steven can help with the business. And so how, how much, like, how much actual, like, day-to-day responsibilities do you have in that role? In the beginning? In the beginning, it was like, we were all just figuring it out. Okay. Um, and then when... It became like, okay, let's start signing artists. Then it was just like, I was thrown into it. The first artist that you guys signed was Designer. Yeah, so for example, with Designer, we were in LA, and Kanye was playing his music back. He was playing Life of Pablo. Okay. And he played the record uh, Father Stretch Part 2, right? Yep. So at the time, Designer wasn't signed, but he was on the song. You didn't know this? No. Yeah, so what happens is we're in LA and Kanye's playing his music, like me and Pusha and a couple other people were in the studio. And he plays the song and everybody thinks it's future. And and you've never heard the song before this? I've heard the song before, but not in context. So I've heard the song before and I just went... So when he played it, I'm thinking it's familiar to me because it's future. I'm thinking it's a future record. I'm not putting together that, you know, one of my friends had sent me this song. It was like, yo, this kid's like popping. You should sign him. The good music, this song is fire, so on and so forth. But I'm not putting that together. I'm just, okay. I'm, you know, because it's like 
he's playing records and it just this shit just comes on. I'm thinking it's familiar to me because it's like a future record that I heard before. And he made that just by taking the SoundCloud link and like Yeah. So Pat it. had given him the song. I was like, yo, this is fire. And he just chopped it up. So then he's playing it and I'm like, I remember I, I said to him, I was like, yo, is that future? And he was like, no, it's not future. Actually, he was like, yo, it's this kid from Brooklyn. You need to go find him. And I'm like, kid from Brooklyn? And he's like, yeah, Pat sent me the SoundCloud link. You need to go find this kid and we need to sign him. And I remember I, I hit Pat and I was like, yo, what's he talking about? And Pat's like, oh, this kid named Designer. I'm like, yo, I heard of this kid before. Where did I hear this before? And I remember this, one of my friends, Jay News, had sent it to me. So then I hit Jay and I was like, yo, what's up with that kid you sent me from Brooklyn? Designer. And he was like, oh, he's from... He's from so-and-so. I was like, yo, I need to get in touch with him. Can you find out who his lawyer is? And he was like, yeah, I'll find out. Give me 24 hours. So he, fi- he calls me and he's like, yo, his lawyer is this guy named Bob Celestin. He said, do you know him? And I'm like, yeah, I know him because he used to be the manager for City High. So I called him and I said, yo, you got this kid named Designer. I'm working for Kanye now and we want to sign him. And he was like, oh, man, um, you're calling me like a week too late. And I'm like, a week too late? What do you mean? And he's like, yeah, we've already agreed on terms with um, so-and-so label. And I'm like, you've agreed to terms? He's like, yeah, we've agreed to terms. And I'm like, what are the terms? And he was like, it doesn't matter. Like, we've agreed to terms. I was like, has he signed? And he was like, this is like a Thursday. And he's like, I'm like, has he signed? He's like, no, we're just waiting for the execution copies of the contract. And I'm like, okay, he hasn't signed, so Kanye wants to sign him. Like, you should forget about... (laughs) Whatever you're saying to me, you should forget about it because... Kanye wants to sign him, so like all this other stuff you're talking about shouldn't matter. And he was like, nah, he doesn't want to sign to an artist. We got a great deal from this label, and we're going to sign the contract when the execution copies come. So I said, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, let me, I said, set up a meeting with me, you, designer, and his manager. Um, And he's like, for what? Dude, I'm telling you, you know, we went around the block already. We've met with every label. You know, you guys are late. And I say, um, I said, okay, cool story. I said, I was like, just set up the meeting. You haven't, I was like, what can you lose? I said, the only thing you can lose is, you know, maybe we'll give you a better offer or you'll be able to use our offer to get a better offer. Um, I said, plus, you know, you're Haitian, I'm Haitian. Like, we're going to meet down the road again. Like, just, it's just a meeting. Like, what's, it's not going to hurt. And he's like, all right, I'll set up the meeting. Um, and this was like in the middle of a snowstorm. So I got on a red eye to New York and I think my flight was delayed because it was a snowstorm. Um, and we had, we had a meeting on Saturday night. It was like Saturday night at like nine o'clock by the time I got, by the time we all met up. And we have this meeting and um, he's like, yeah, bro, like I told you, I wanted to set up this meeting because, you know, of our relationship. But like I told you before, um, the deal's done. So this is so designers here, his manager's here, and Bob is just explaining it to me, like, yo, the deal is done, whatever, whatever. But he's like, designer, this is Steven Victor, blah, 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 blah. This is what's going on. But the deal's done. Designer's like, I want to hear what he has to say. You know? So, you know, I, I give him my pitch and I'm like, yo, this is why you should um sign to Kanye as opposed to And what what was your pitch? I was just like, listen, man, you got this song, it's blowing up, but like it's Kanye, there's so much you can get, so much added value you can get from someone like Kanye, just from even working with him on a creative level, like the things you could learn, um, the access you could have, it's, you know, you should consider it. I said, even if it's to the point where 
you just spend time with them and don't do a deal. Like you can only benefit from, you know, we leave the meeting and I, I call Bob and I'm like, bro, <laughs> you know, you need to speak to them. And I think in the meeting though, designer was like, yo, I want to, I think I want to do this. So I told Bob, Bob was like, okay, we, we want to do the deal, but he, these are the terms, whatever, whatever. And he's like, let's figure it out on Monday. And I'm like, no, we could figure it out now. And he's like, dude, it's like 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. There's nothing to figure out. Like, send me paperwork on Monday. We'll review it. And I was like, no, I'll get, I'll get you paperwork tonight. <laughs> and he's like, if you could get me paperwork tonight, like, you know, and it's with the terms that we agreed upon, you know, we can sign it. I was like, yeah, Bob, this is not going to wait till Monday. And he's like, okay. He's like, get me the paperwork then. So I go home and I call um, Business Affairs at Universal. And I'm like, yo, Kanye wants to sign this kid and we need to get him a contract like before Monday. Who knows what someone else can offer? Who knows what can happen by the time Monday comes? So I'm thinking about this is, I'm thinking about it like, okay, it's the weekend. So I have an advantage. I know that you kind of live for that type of negotiation. I do. <laughs> Tell me about that. Like, what, what is it about that that gets you going? It's like sport. It's like boxing. It's like, it's very intellectual boxing, right? It's like chess almost. You have to anticipate what someone's, gonna, what someone's reaction is going to be to what you say to them or what you offer them. And My goal when like, signing artists or doing deals is always to make sure that the, the person you're doing the deal with gets exactly what they want and you get exactly what you want without neither one of you guys compromising. It's always difficult, but there's certain things that are like very, very important to, to you. And then there's things that, are, that you want. So for me, it's always about finding out what's really important and what you want. So you just get to the root of what they want and you give that to them without it. If it's not hurting you, if it's not hurting the deal, you know, because a good deal is one where both parties get what they want. As long as you get what you want, they get what they want. It's all good. The deal gets done, and you guys obviously have a very explosive two or three months yeah. immediately after that. Panda goes crazy. Mm -hmm. Father Stretch yeah. becomes a classic. Um, how does that change your situation within this sort of UMG world, um, and also just sort of generally within the record business? I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing now, and then I don't want things to happen incrementally. Like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this really well, and then I'm going to jump. Same thing here, jump. Like, I don't necessarily like incremental. I like staying in one space, excelling in that space, and then jumping to another space, excelling in that, and so on and so forth. So I think what ended up happening, I was so used to working at the bottom. You know, there's like so many layers of things that goes on for something to actually happen at a record company. Mm -hmm. Everything happens at the bottom and at the top. Nothing happens in the middle. Other people view it differently. They like everything happens in the middle. Nothing happens at the bottom and nothing happens at the top. Not only like in the deal making process, but also in like getting things done because I'm so used to knowing, I'm so used to being down here. I know how to make things happen. So when Kanye is trying to do X, Y, Z and I'm able to do it quickly, it's because I know, okay, this is what's really going on. Having said all of that, yeah. you're still in your like late 20s yeah. acting a little crazy. <laughs> you would know. As someone that was there, as an eyewitness, <laughs> is there anything else that, that you can put your finger on that you feel like is 
a reason that all of these opportunities keep sort of bubbling up and coming to you without the friction? Yeah, I think it's that, you know, when I'm looking for an opportunity, it's, you know, I, I have this saying where it's like always for love, never for money, right? So when I'm looking for certain opportunities, there's like a, it's coming from like a genuine place. I'm not going towards this opportunity thinking, oh, I'm going to benefit from this financially. I'm going into the opportunity like I'm really interested in this for whatever reason it might be, or I'm a fan. Um, and let me see where I can add value more than what can I extract from it. I'm trying to figure out how can I add to it. So I think that's why. So, so I'll never go into a situation where I'm working with an artist or working with someone where I'm not, um, where I'm not like looking up to this person, you know, or inspired by by them and wanting to be around. Even though it's for opportunity, it's never for opportunity. Have you ever had a big idea but lacked the tools to implement it? Look no further than Shopify. Shopify is the brand that powers all your favorite clothing, beauty, and sneaker brands and offers the best-in-class commerce tools to allow you to sell online, in person, and on all major social platforms. Shopify fuels millions of entrepreneurs and turns ambition into action. Check out shopify.com slash idea to learn more. Now back to the story. Working with Pusha T led Steven to working with Kanye West, which in turn led him to signing designer and becoming Good Music's head of A&R. But to keep elevating his career, he would have to step outside of the house that Ye built. Off the strength of designer's multi-platinum hit, Steven began fielding offers for new roles, but it was UMG CEO Lucian Grange with whom he would find a real kinship. How do you deal with, you know, you're your sort of the operational part of a system being led by a genius, yeah. but a genius who is given to, like, change his mind quite a bit and, you know, make proclamations and then pivot yeah. and move on to the next thing immediately. How did you approach sort of navigating that? Well, I think being able to pivot is, like, the most important thing in business. Because things change so fast, right? So for me, it was never about navigating someone changing their mind all the time. It's That's like the nature of the beast. I feel like geniuses in general change their mind all the time, depending on what influences are around. Because it's like stimulation. And that leads to them changing their mind. Like never let anything get in the way of creative. Like never take no for an answer. Seeing him operate like that, it kind of like cemented to me that this is the way to go and this is like the way to go to be to be great but also to be fulfilled in like your success regardless of the company who am i going to be able to have the most success with and who's going to inspire me to do cuz that's the thing about working with someone like Kanye right it's like extremely inspiring like you're around this guy and he's making like, he's making it rain. It's like, oh, cloud, come down. <laughs> so, like, you know, to be in that environment, I think that it's, um, like, you can't, you can't pay for that. Like, that's the environment you want to be in as a creative. Um, 
So my my intention was always to continue working with Kanye. Um, and then, you know, things happen. You get offered this, you get offered that. And you have to make a decision. Was that a difficult decision? No, it was easy because when, initially when this was all going on, you know, I, I had offers from a bunch of different companies. But Kanye's, is, Kanye's relationship is with Universal, right? So that's one thing. But then the other thing is when I, when I went to meet with Lucian, it was one of those moments where it's like, okay, this guy is like very inspiring. Tell me about that energy. That's what it is. It's, that, it's energy, right? And it's just like, okay, I think that um, for whatever it's worth, like being around this guy is going to, not only is he going to push me to be great, but just being around him is going to make you want to do, like, not do the impossible, but it's just, you know, it's, like I said, just being around inspiring people. It, it creates excellence and pushes you to... Exactly. So I'll give you an example. This is why I say that I don't do things for money, right? So when I was doing my deal with, by the, by the time I ended up meeting with Lucian and doing my deal with Universal, I had two other offers on the table, right? And one of them, my deal with Universal ended up being half of, being worth half of that deal. It was another major label. And their offer was twice the amount that Universal offered me. And what stopped you from signing that? I was like, I can have way more success and I'll be way more fulfilled working with this guy. I'll make more money over here, but I think that working over here with Lucien, it's, it's going to push me more and it's going to... What did he say that gave you that confidence? It wasn't so much what he said. It was more so about how he said what he said and just his philosophies and perspective on things. Like, I'm a very big... Um, I gravitate towards people with a perspective. He had a perspective on everything. <laughs> you know, it's not just about, oh, let's get this deal done because I think that you're going to be successful. We're going to make lots of money together. You know? Was it difficult for you to, like, maintain the relationship with Ye and also extricate yourself from the situation yeah. on a day-to-day? -day? For sure, because it could look at, it could look like, you know, you should be here, not there. And then you got different people having their own opinions about things, but... The deal that Lucien offers you, what, what did that look like? Not financially, but, you know. So that's, that's the thing, right? So I meet with him, and we talk about different things. And he's like, what do you think you need? What kind of infrastructure? What are the things that you want to do? And I tell him, and he's like, okay, we're going to figure out a situation for you that allows you to do these things that you want to do. As opposed to like everyone else is like, we want you to do X, Y, Z for us. Lucian's perspective is, okay, you're really good at these things. And these are the things that um, you want to do. Okay, cool. We'll figure out a way to make, <laughs> so that you could do it within this system. And what was it that you were trying to do? Well, I, you know, I look at, I was like, yo, I think that I'm really good at deal-making. I'm really good at thinking outside the box and um, working with creatives and trying to bring their vision to life. 
like sometimes you can't do that from just an A&R perspective. Sometimes you can't do that just by being a manager. Um, you know, because everybody, creatives are like, you know, they're different. They, they think outside the box. So you need to be able to create an environment for them that allows them to get, you know, shooting content or just making music. Um, so yeah, he was like, okay, you're interested in film and TV. We have an avenue where you could work. You want to do publishing, help songwriters, producers. We have that too. And you want to do traditional record label stuff, you could do that too. Was this, was the idea that you were going to create your own brand or your own label or just work as a sort of member of UMG through the different arms? Yeah, it was that. And then on top of that, it was like, and we'll give you an opportunity to create your own brand. Who was the first artist that you signed? 16-year-old. I just really like this perspective. You know, he has a unique perspective on everything. I, um, I can't pinpoint one thing, but I just remember sitting with him and like I'd ask him questions and he had, he had like an answer for everything that came, that I just knew it was, like he would answer questions that he would answer them honestly to like his detriment. Like he, I would ask him a question and he would answer it and I'd be like, I don't know if I'd be that honest, but <laughs> about, you know, um, but it was like, you know, I saw things in him that I saw in myself. He was like, I'm not doing this for money or for, I'm trying to create great art. And, you know, um, but he was a producer. But I was like, hmm, how can I create an environment for him that allows him to be himself and create um, within this system? So I gave him like a non-traditional record deal. And, you know, it's like, I was able to put him in a place financially where he could only focus on music and not think about how to make a living. Um, and, you know, at the time I didn't know how, um, how his creativity would like manifest itself into success. But, you know, like, I don't know, like maybe a year la later, I put him in the studio with Shaq and he creates Mobamba. But it's like those type of opportunities. Like if I'd never mm -hmm. signed him, and put him in the room with Shaq, who knows if Mobamba would have been created. Entrusted by Grange to follow his instincts, Steven started to build out a roster of talent. While his peers were engrossed by streaming stats and big money deals, he looked for artists with perspective and made small bets on emerging scenes. That would eventually bring Ski Mask the Slump God onto his radar. But first, there was an artist named XXXTentacion who he didn't quite understand. How are you finding these kids, like 16-year-old and, and Cash Money AP and all the producers that... Through, like, just different... I'm just like, I love music, right? So I'm always listening to music. So with 16-year-old, someone played me an artist. Like, one of the A&Rs when I first started working at UMG... They played me an artist. They were like, yo, this song is, this song's blowing up. We should look into meeting this artist. I forgot the name of the artist, but I'm listening to the song and I'm like, I like it, but I don't know why I like it. So I'm just listening to the song on repeat. I'm like, it's a really good song. And then maybe like on the 16th listen or 17th listen, I'm like, oh, I really like the beat. I don't really like the song. The beat is like, there's something like special about the beat. So I asked the a and I said, yo, who made the beat? And he's like, 16-year-old. And I'm like, 
no, not his age. Like, who's the person that made the beat? And he's like, the, pr- the producer's name is 16-year-old. And I'm like, hmm. I was like, is he 16? <laughs> they were like, no, I think he's 17. I, they, I, they were like, I don't know his age, but I was like, hmm, his name is 16-year-old. This beat is like, to me at least at the time, I'm like, oh, this beat is next level. So I'm like, hmm, this is pretty interesting. The kid's name is 16-year-old. That's... <laughs> yeah. So I, I fly him to New York. I'm like, I want to meet this person. <laughs> Well, I noticed that, like, when we talk about artists, you know, we talk about Tiger a lot. Yeah. And I know that your interest in him, you always felt like there's something innate in his personality that he will figure it out. Figure it out, yeah. It could be music, it could be acting, yeah. it could be reality, whatever. He's going to end up on gonna top. He's going to end up on top, for sure. It's an interest, like, in, a, in an era where so many A&R decisions get made based solely off data. Yeah. What are the, what is it that you look for? I don't look at data. I mean, obviously, you can look at data and it can kind of um, it can like enforce or reinforce your um, your feeling about something. But I just I always look at the person, independent of their talent or any of that stuff. I look at the person and what drives them and like their perspective, and then there you find the person. I mean, every, every artist is different, but like, I think it's what I said earlier, perspective. I want to know what their perspective is and why. And like, what is it that moves them? You know, is it money? Because if it's money, then, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not trying to be in business with you. Because what happens when you make money? Then it's like, what else is driving you? What's going to drive you to make something great? And what's going to drive you to do the right thing? Well, it's interesting because I do feel like you know, given your uh, proclivity for fast cars and <laughs> chains, you probably do attract a lot of people who are artists that think that that's what you're looking for. Yeah, but I'm not. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> the minute I start thinking that you're just thinking about money, I go the opposite way. Because money's not enough to drive anyone. Like, if you look at anyone who's been able to do anything, great in their life like it's not coming from a place of um financial gain like the financial gain comes along with like greatness and success and things like that but you know (laughs) so ski mask comes along because I signed 16-year-old, and then I had a friend, um, I have a friend named Make, who calls me up one day, and he's like, yo, I found this kid from Florida. He's like, amazing. You have to sign him. Like, I know you just um, started working at Universal. I think he would be perfect for Def Jam. So I said, okay, cool, who's the artist? So he tells me his name, and I'm like, how do you pronounce it? And he's like, XXX Tentacion. I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, send me the music. So he sends me the Look At Me song, right? Yep. So I'm in my car and I play it, but it comes on and it's just like, yes. like <laughs> so I hit him and I'm like, yo, I think you sent me the wrong song. Like this is, and he's like, nah. He's like, oh, let me check. And he comes back. He's like, no, I, I sent you the right song. And I said, are you sure? And he's like, bro, I'm telling you, this kid is like hot. He's like, he's the next one. And I'm like, I don't know if this is for me, bro. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And I said, I don't think this is for me. So he says to me, he's like, yo. Um, just get on the phone with him, you know what I'm saying? Like, and he'll explain to you like his vision and 
So I'm like, okay, cool. So he's like, yo, he can only speak at this time. And I'm like, why? He's like, oh, he's in jail. And I'm like, what's he in jail for? So he tells me what he's in jail for. And I'm like, okay. So he's like, bro, but you have to speak to him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, get on the phone with him. So I get on the phone with him and he's like, he's speaking like a hundred miles an hour. And he's like, yo, I'm a good person. Like I make this kind of music. I make rock, I make reggae, I make rap. He's just speaking like a hundred miles an hour. So to me, I'm thinking, yo, this kid got to be like trolling me. I'm like, this whole situation just sounds crazy. You know what I'm saying? He's in jail. That that one song that I heard is like... Yeah, it's almost like punk rock. Yeah, and, but, and then he's telling me he does like all genres. So I'm just like, bro, I, I can't. So he's like, all right, cool. I got, I got someone else for you. They, they're, they're in a crew together, but he like, he can really rap and... You know what I'm saying? I think you would, you would really like him. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he's like, but um, he was like, you could meet him in person. I'm like, okay, even better because that last phone call you put me on was, I couldn't really make sense of it. It's like on the phone, and so I I meet with with Ski, and he's like in my office, and he's rapping like all freestyles. And I'm like, oh, this kid's fucking amazing. <laughs> he didn't have, he he didn't have any songs. He was just like rapping. So this is in like. 2017. Okay. So he's just rapping. And I'm not even familiar with like the SoundCloud world like that. I'm just like, yo, this kid could rap his ass off. And like, I need to sign him. He becomes the first rapper signed to Victor Victor. Yeah. When you got to Def Jam, your approach to A&R, at least for me, from from where I was sitting, it looked like you were making a lot of very small bets. Yeah. It It was like, you weren't signing huge deals it was a, a lot of small bets with the idea that hopefully one or two of these will pop but that's a very different strategy than you've used with Victor Victor or anything else in your career no so with my approach at Def Jam was not so much about taking a lot of small bets it was more so about taking the right bets with the kids that are in the scene because they're going to lead you they they themselves might be successful but not only are you looking for success from them? You're looking for them to lead you to the next big thing. You're looking for them to lead you into the scene that's popping. So that's what my approach was. It was like, oh, you're really good. You're like in the scene. You're living the lifestyle. What's going on down here? So with your your A&R staff, obviously everyone has access to the same data. Mm -hmm. Anytime something moves on Spotify or Apple Music, whatever, everybody gets the same alerts. For sure. How, how do you train your team? My perspective is always, it's not necessarily about you finding things early or getting things, getting different things. It's about finding something that you love and you're going to help make it successful. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter about like being able to read data and saying, oh, okay, this is, this is trending upwards, right? Because everything's fucking trending upwards, right? What happens when you sign this thing that's trending upwards? What value are you going to bring to them? That's gonna take it from. He, this person's already gotten themselves from one to three. What are you gonna do to get them from three to ten? Because that's where they need help. Because they don't have experience. They don't have infrastructure. They don't have like the manpower. They don't have the information that we at a record company had. So what are you gonna do? What's your vision for this artist? Like, don't bring me an artist and tell me that. Oh, this artist has this many streams on Spotify. I don't give a fuck about that. I want to know why you like this artist and what your vision for them is and how you're going to help them achieve what you think their vision is and what their vision is for themselves. 
that's what matters not some fucking data that I can purchase myself and make it look like something After firmly establishing himself in the music business through his work with rappers like Pusha T, Designer, Ski Mask, and producers like 16-year-old and Cash Money AP, Stephen Victor was ready to find his biggest artist yet. There was only one problem. He was also ready to leave his position at Def Jam. So yeah, I think one of the misconceptions is that, you know, in this streaming era, Artists happen overnight, and you know you do have your occasional artist, like a designer, where it's just mm-hmm. the song hits SoundCloud and it explodes. For most artists, there's a much longer gestation period. Yeah. What do you think is realistic? You know, for an artist to break an artist. Yeah. I think three years. What has to happen in those three years? You know, it's different for each artist, but I think that something that's like very important is. It all goes back to vision, right? And what the artist sees for themselves and what the team, the record label, the management sees for that artist also and how they help achieve it. So I think three years is a a good enough time. Like it's, you know, it's not too long. It's not too short. Because there's only with so much music you could put out within like a 12-month period to give people, like if your music is good, right? If you're, we're talking about like an artist that is gonna have like a long career. Mm. Like you don't want it to happen too fast. You want people to get to know you as an artist. And then um, they get to, new, to know you as an artist, but then they, they experience you through your music. Is it hard to keep sort of the, the, the pressure and the bosses off to allow that time to happen? Like, cause I, you know, as with anything, People are looking for those quick flip investments. And, you know, in in a world where people have quarterly earnings calls Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, you know, there isn't necessarily always that appetite. I think that you have to focus on greatness. That needs to be like the number one focus. And then you need to have your bosses or whoever around you to allow you that time to find it. I mean, obviously, you know, it can't be like 10 years, but... I think a good grace period is like four to five years, you know, to allow yourself to to at least have some sort of glimpse of sunlight. How do you deal with, you know, as an executive in music, you invest a lot of time and energy in these young people. Uh And some of them go on to become career artists and you maintain relationships with them forever. And others, things go off the rails at a certain point. Yeah. How do you deal with that as an emotional person that, you know? Um, I mean, it's, it's life. It's no different than life, right? You go through relationships through your life. Some of them work out, some of them don't for different reasons. It's the same thing in the music business or any other business, I guess. How did you extricate yourself from Def Jam once it was clear that this wasn't going to work? Um, I think, you know, Paul and I had a conversation, you know, a couple of conversations about just the direction of the company and, you know, my feelings. And I think it was something that we thought would be mutually beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was through a conversation with Paul and we just figured it out. So, so you, you extricate yourself from, from Def Jam yeah. and you go back now to the center mm-hmm. with Victor Victor. 
but you now have an artist that you're talking to. Yeah. Pop Smoke. Yeah. How did that relationship happen? So that was from one of my A&Rs, Rico. He, so, you know, it's like Rico keeps telling me about this kid and he's like, yo, there's this kid from Brooklyn. You need to meet him. He's going to be huge. And I'm kind of like in my mode where I'm, you know, out of Def Jam and I'm trying to figure out my next move. And I'm like, you know, I don't have time for like to, to sign another developing act that I'm going to have to develop. But anyway, long story short, he keeps pushing me, keeps pushing me. And he finally asked me to take the meeting as a favor. So I, I only took the meeting with Pop as a favor to Rico because he was like, yo, I've been promising this kid this meeting with you and it's been months and you're making me look bad. So take the meeting. So I take the meeting and I, when I meet Pop, like, I'm like, yo, this kid's a superstar. I'm like, he's a superstar and he's like hella talented. Like I, I can tell cause he's playing me music where he's like, he's playing me all these different ideas. And it was like, you know, what, what ended up happening is when I'm in, this, I'm, in the, I'm in Rico's office with him and he's playing me music, but it's all different kinds of music. It's not just like one sound. And it took me back to the conversation I had with X where he was like, yo, I do reggae, I do... So I'm sitting there and I'm like... Oh, yeah, because he, he has like that, that Tupac sounding, that West Coast... Yeah, he has a bunch of, yeah. bunch of different songs that he's playing me. So I'm just like, yo, this kid is like an incredible talent. And I could just, like, I could just feel it. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's playing me the music and he's talking to me and he's looking me in my eye. Like, he's very focused. Not only is he focused, but like he has like an aura of confidence and the music is just like phenomenal. It's not like it's hit records. I could just tell, you know, that's one of my talents. I could identify talent like really quickly. So I'm like, <laughs> I know I said I wasn't going to sign any developing acts, but this kid is special. So then what happens? So then I, you know, I call Rico and I said, yo, bro. At the time, like I still wasn't even thinking about signing him. Because I was just trying to figure my thing out. So I called Rico and I said, yo, you need to sign this kid. He's going to change your life. He's like that good. I was like, you work with him for, because Rico's a producer also. I said, you work with him for a year. I was like, things are going to change for you. Like this kid's a superstar in the making. Like you just need to put some time and work in on it. And Rico says to me, if you think that he's that good, like why are you, why are you telling me to sign him? Why don't, why don't we sign him? And I was like, mm, you know, I, I gave him like the runaround. And he was like, you're not making any sense to me. You're telling me I should sign him and he's going to change my life and he's going to be like this big artist, but you don't want to sign him? You know, I don't want to tell him, yo, I'm trying to figure out my thing out. Did he know that was this? He didn't know. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know what was going on with me and Def Jam or Universal. I was just like, bro, I'm telling you because I got love for you. You should sign him. And like, just because I don't, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. Like this kid's gonna, he's gonna make it. So, what ended up happening is, you know, Rico stayed on me. He stayed on me. He stayed on me. And I always thought Pop was like incredible. But the tipping point is when I went to, when I was out of my deal with Def Jam and I was working back in the center. Um, I had a meeting with Lucien, and I thought it was gonna be a business meeting. But when I went to see him, he was like, "Play me with." <laughs> Play me what, like, unsigned artist that you're looking at that you're really um, impressed by. And I couldn't think of anything other than pop. So I played him a couple of songs, and he was like, he's like, yo, this kid is really, he's really good. 
and I was like, interesting. So maybe it made me think about it. And I was like, you know, maybe I should, like I said, I wasn't thinking about signing a developing artist. I was like, maybe I should really um, think about it. So I called Rico and I said, yo, what's it going to take to get this deal done? And I remember he told me, he said, this is what Pop is looking for. And I remember I was at home with my wife and I was like, I got off the phone with him and I said to her, and I said, yo, there's this kid I really want to sign, but his manager, Rico at the time, wants X, Y, Z. And I was like, that's like insane. He has like nothing going on. I remember my wife said to me, she said, she said, well, she was like, do you believe in him? And I was like, yeah, I think he's, I was like, he's going to be huge one day. And she was like, so it doesn't matter. I said, she was like, whether you give him a dollar or a million dollars, she was like, it doesn't, it doesn't, or $2 million, it's either going to be successful or it's not. So if you believe in him, you should give him what he wants. Because if he becomes successful, he's going to remember that you took the chance on him. Plus, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like, if you believe in him, give him what he wants. And I called Rico and I said, I said, put me in touch with the lawyer. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> and that was, that was that? That was that. The next day we got on the phone. and Did you know, like, when you do something like that and you are part of the center, do you have to, like, consult with anybody? Or, like, is there any concern that you're going to get pushed back from someone in the legal team or, you know... Yeah, you always get pushed back, but... That's going to be like, why are you giving X, Y, and Z course. to this person? Everyone was like, what? And so I sent Lucy an email. I need your approval on X, Y, Z. <laughs> he was like, what's it going to take to get it done? I was like, this is what he wants. And he was like, if you believe in it, I believe in it. With the support of his wife, his own label in place and an artist he truly believed in, the stars had a line for Victor. He wanted to take Pop Smoke from an emerging artist to a household name, and for once, he had a carefully laid out plan. But then tragedy struck. So then you went from there right into working on the Meet the Woo out, or mixtape. Yep. What was your approach to that? So I signed him and, you know, I was like, yo, we gotta put a tape out. and he was like, these are the songs that I want to put out. It was a bunch of songs, like different vibes. And I was like, I was like, yo, I remember speaking to him and I said, you're way too talented. I was like, because you're talented and you know what you want, I was like, it's going to take you longer to get to where you're trying to go. And we have to take the long road as opposed to like shortcuts, just because it's not like you actually have the talent to become like a household name. I was like, so we have to like take the same approach that Kanye would or Jay would, anyone that has been able to create like their own sound. And he was like, okay. And then, you know, he started working with Mello. And then I remember he had all these records with Mello. They were like, Mello was the kid that had done Welcome PTSD to the party. and. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, this is the person that should do the whole tape. And it was that sort of UK grime sound. I was like, this is your sound. And I was like, from here, we're going to like, we're going to cement this as your sound, as you being the face of this sound. And then from there, you could start, you know, trickling out these other things that you want to do, like these R&B leaning, leaning sounds, these pop records and so on and so forth. But we have to create this sound. And you guys put the, the mixtape out. Is it viewed as a success? When we put the, the tape out? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely viewed as a success within, like, the neighborhood. But, you know, I was getting a lot of pushback from, like, playlisting and the record company about 
you know, it wasn't working well within like the playlisting, like the skip rates were high. So I said, I said, okay, cool. That's, that's fine. I was like, but it, it doesn't matter. I see what's going on in Brooklyn. I see what's going on in London. You know, we don't have to go this route, the route that everyone's going as far as like making sure you're on this playlist or that playlist. We're going to take it like the organic approach. And like, we're going to build you as a, a touring artist. You know what I'm saying? A, a, an artist of the people. Like we're going to hit the ground. And that's what we did. That's why we went to like all the DSPs in person. Like he did his first show in London. Like we really did everything like old school, like a throwback artist would. And when did you start to feel like it, it was really beginning to catch? Um, I don't think it really started to catch until, you know, when we did his first show in London and it was sold out. I was like, okay, this is the beginning of something. When was that? Was at the end of the summer? No, that was like in no, November. We put it up, and I, my 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 thought was, we're gonna we're gonna do an underplay. We're gonna do like a two hundred percent a two hundred person cap room, blow it out. We put it up. We put the tickets up for two hundred people, and it sold out in like three minutes. Oh wow! So then we bumped up the room to five hundred, sold out again. We bumped it up to a thousand, sold out again. And then we were gonna do bigger, and I was like, nah, we shouldn't do bigger. Let's just keep it. Let's just keep it here, and then we just we'll just build from here. What were you thinking as you guys were going into creating the first album? Well, see, so the, 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 we put the mixtape out, right, and it 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 did what a mixtape is supposed to do. Um, so I was happy with it. It was his first project. We you know we put it out like four months after we signed him, um, and then we started working on the second second mixtape, and we had like some features on it. And then we had a release party, and then it did. He did like forty thousand records first week, which is like incredible for someone without any hit records. What did he done the the first first week? Like seven thousand, which is also incredible for someone without any, you know, hit records, right? So when when we did forty thousand, I think my goal for that project was like thirty five thousand, and we did thirty seven and some change, so forty thousand. Um, I was like, yo, every so to me because he didn't have any hit records on, like he didn't have. Like, you wouldn't know who he is unless you knew who he was, yeah, right? Yeah. So for me, I was like, yo, this is exactly what not only do I want, but what I envision for him because no one knows who he really is except for his fans, and he's able to sell these many records without a record on the radio, a record on the, like, top streaming charts. So, like, this is the beginning of exactly what I see for him, for his future. So when we were making the album... Like we were like, okay, my thing was all these different vibes that you had, these different sounds that you want to get out. Let's get them out in the album because you already established your fan base with these first two mixtapes. Like they're very strong, and like we accomplished what we wanted to accomplish with this series. Because originally I was like, yo, we'll put out, you know, twenty Meet the Woos until we get to the place where you've established the fan base and established the sound. But we did it in two mixtapes, so I was like very. I was excited, you know. So you started pushing him to be a little more experimental. Well, I wasn't pushing him because that was the what, nature was of what, what he, he wanted, wanted to do anyway. Okay. I kind of pulled him back because I was like, yo, we have to get a sound. Crawl, walk, run. Exactly. So when he started doing those vibes, that was what he wanted to do anyway. So I wasn't pushing him experiment. I wasn't pushing him. He was, this was what the plan was. And so for him, I imagine his life is changing incredibly fast. Super fast. I mean, because. And during this time, he has like five cases going on. Oh, that's right. He so got... it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot going on. So yeah, so tell, tell me about, you know, 
you guys are obviously bonding, developing a relationship. Yeah. You're mentoring him through all of this. Sure. Well, what was that like? It was great. We were like besties, you know what I'm saying? Like we became really close. It was kind of like big brother, little brother vibe. But, you know, we were speaking every day, but he had like a lot going on. Like a lot. <laughs> How did he adapt to obviously like this plane to that plane to... Slowly, you know. So for example, like there was one time when I was trying to get Travis on the Gotti record, which ended up being Travis's record featuring Pop. But, you know, I'm following up with Travis all the time. Like, yo, you know what I'm saying? Let's get this record done. Let's get this record done. So finally, we go to LA to get the song done and we fly in. And he had he was in London for like maybe like a week doing promo. So he came to New York for like one day. And then the next day we went to LA for Travis, for them to go in the studio, for Travis to do that record. So Travis does the song that night and we go to New York the next day. But I got on an earlier flight than him. And then by the time I landed, um, one of Travis's managers hit me and he was like, yo, um, where are you guys at? And I'm like, oh, I'm back in New York, but Pop's on a plane. And he was like, oh, well, Travis wants to shoot this video tomorrow. Like, can you guys come back to LA tomorrow? Cause he's doing this thing with Elon, whatever. So I'm already in New York. I had just landed and so I text him and I'm like, yo, call me when you land. I text him and Rico and I'm like, yo, call me when you guys land. So they land and I'm like, yo, Travis wants to shoot this video tomorrow. And he's like, what? And I'm like, he wants to shoot the video. To, I'm talking to him and Rico and they're like, bro, we're not going back to LA. We just landed. When do we have to go? And I'm like, probably tonight. Like if we could find a, if we could find a flight late enough, either tonight or first thing tomorrow morning. And he's like, bro, I've been on a plane like the past month. Like if not every day, every other day, like I can't. This, this doesn't feel right with my body. Like, I can't, I don't know if I can do this. And I'm like, listen, it's opportunities calling. I get it. And he was like, you know, what should I do? And I was like, go to LA. <laughs> and he's like, are you coming? And I'm like, yeah, I, I, you know. So we went to LA and shot the video and then came back to New York the next day. <laughs> so it was like a lot. Because he had to come, he had to be back for court also. So it wasn't just. As all of this is happening, are you feeling any sort of sense of concern for his situation or that he, the way that he's moving? Um, yeah, but you know, I'm speaking to him and I'm telling him like, yo, you have to slow down, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, and I'm explaining to him like, bro, like you have a bright future in front of you. This is why you need to do all these different things that I'm saying to do. And you know, he was slowly understanding, which is kind of one of the reasons why I saw he was understanding, but he wasn't really, he was understanding it and he was, you know, making the necessary steps, but it wasn't like a 360. It was kind of like a slow, gradual thing. So, which is why I reached out to 50 and I was like, yo, um, you know, I, I told him about the situation. I was like, yo, can you, you know, just take a meeting with us and just speak to Pop and let him know about like the different pitfalls that could happen if, you know, you're <laughs> moving this fast. What, what did 50 say to him? He told him, he was like, I think when, when 50 told him, like, I, I think it kind of clicked. Because his whole thing was, listen, I don't want to change who I am to be able to be successful. Like, I want to remain who I am. And 50 told him, 50 was like, yeah, you could absolutely be true to yourself and still have success. Like, I'm still 50. I sold 50 million records. You know what I'm saying? And like, I, I haven't changed. You just got to you know, put things in place, but you can't, you can't be doing the same things you were doing before. 
Yeah, you can't. You can't. Move. You could be the same person you are and have success, but you have to change a couple of things. And I think it's, once he saw Fifty say that, and he was, you know, I think it clicked. So obviously, you know, very shortly after that meeting, yeah, um, Pop ends up being murdered. Yeah, which I, I can only imagine how shocking and you know, I mean, I, yeah, I can't imagine. How, how did you find out what had happened to him? Um, I think that maybe Shiv or Ben called my hotel room. Were you in L.A. at the time? I was time? in L.A., yeah. And did you guys, you knew that he had passed? And no, no. You we just went to the hospital. Did. Okay. Yeah. So, but you know, it's crazy because out of all the crazy stuff that was going on, like, I my biggest fear for him was that he would end up in jail, not that he'd be murdered. I never, that never crossed my mind that. You thought he was just going to be constantly in trouble? For st- not constantly in trouble, but, but just- I just feared that he would find himself in a situation that might, you know, end him up in jail. So what does, what does one do, you know, you find out information like that? I don't, I mean, that's, 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 you know, I, I you know, I've, I don't, I've never had someone that close to me pass away. So it was definitely like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I've had people pass away, but, you know, it's not that sudden or it's not someone that I was speaking to like every single day, multiple times a day. You know, you know. I mean, obviously, the business stuff becomes completely unimportant. I would imagine in that yeah. moment. But how are you able to keep moving forward at all, dealing with that grief? Um, you know, for a long time, and even like now, I can't really like listen to his music. But yeah, it's kind of like you know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, when I came back to New York and like 50 reached out to me, he was like, um, you have to like continue his legacy. Like all the different things that you guys spoke about when you were here about doing, you have to make sure that those things still happen. Were you ready to just put everything on hold for a little bit? Not even... Put everything on hold, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was never. I never had the thought to put like an album out. I was just like, "What? Yeah. You're dealing and, with yeah." Grief I was just and... like, I'm, and he was like, "You have to do it, and you have to do it, like now. Like you have to make sure like his legacy lives on, or else it's just like you're being selfish because you're. Um, I remember how he phrased it, but basically he was saying that you're like being victimized by your depression of what happened. Like you gotta." Pick yourself together and like make sure you do this for him. That is his legacy. Just you. Yeah. And I mean, how did you sort of emotionally soldier through that process of getting the record together and dealing with all the minutia and the details involved in something like that? I think that the minutia helped me like deal with it. 
So you're just focused on just getting the granular... Getting things done, done. that I know that he wanted done. So like finding peace in that. And then, I mean, obviously the record is released and becomes a breakout yeah. success beyond anything you've ever been involved with. What, how bittersweet is that? I mean, it's, that's the right word, it's bittersweet. It's like mixed emotions because it's like he's not here to enjoy it. You know, and he's not. It's very, very mixed emotions. I have very mixed emotions about it. You know, you're now uh, on the on the eve of putting out the second yeah album to come out after his passing. You know, I would imagine that you still have a lot of conflicted feelings, and you know, you have to deal with Twitter and the world's impression about whether or not you know. It's a fine line between honoring his legacy and creating something for his estate and his family and people feeling like it's exploitive. How do you sort of navigate that? I don't. It's like, you know, I don't think that my perspective is, as a person, I don't judge or look into anyone's life or without having context of what's going on. Like, I think people are just bored on the internet. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't pay that any mind because I know what, um, I know what, this is all being driven by what he would have wanted. Like nothing more, nothing less. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible what has happened and, and yeah. the sort of magnitude of his impact on the game. Yeah. But it just goes to show you that he was like a very special human being because, you know, no matter what, like, if he wasn't, it would have had success and then it would have just been like, if it was just something that was popular, there's definitely something like supernatural about him. No, he, he's, a, he is a legend. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with, with, with all of the greats, both living and those that have passed. Where does that put you and and Victor Victor? You've now you've broken through, you know, ceilings that go far beyond what almost any other label um, is able to do. But you are that that was your artist. You know, yeah. I mean, you obviously still have Ski Mask, who continues to be successful. Mm -hmm. But um, how are you thinking about Victor Victor and what is next for Victor Victor? Um, I mean, I don't think that my vision for, for Victor Victor has ever changed. Like, it's always been the same. It's always been to, like, I've always wanted to create a platform for, like, the youth to be able to get out, like, their creative visions and help them execute the things that they want to do. Like, it's always been, like, youth-based. That's why, you know, I go back to what I always say. It's like, it's not about anything other than doing things that you love and being like true to that so you don't feel like there's any pressure on you i've never like i said before i've never like felt pressure it's never been like oh i gotta make this happen i gotta make that happen it's just that i want to do things that i want to work with people that i'm a fan of that i'm inspired by and i want to help add value to their to their lives whether it's from a prof professional standpoint or a creative standpoint um 
or just a personal standpoint. So you now you have a, the Nego record coming. Yeah. Shortly, how did that happen? Um, so you know, Nego did the logo. So I, you know, I've been closely in touch with him and Dan, and I just had this idea one day, and I said to, I called Dan and I said, "Yo, I got this idea about doing a Nego album," and he was like, "What do you mean?" So I explained to him, and he was like, "Oh, that would be actually." Cool. It's like, cause you know, Nigo had put out a, a project before, like I think, like years ago. Really, in the American market? And uh, oh yeah, with Teriyaki Boys. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, I remember that. Or like Ape Sounds or whatever. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Um, and I was like, yo, I think it could be dope. Kind of like, not in what Khaled does, but like an album curated by Nigo, the people that he's a fan of, the people that he works of, the people that are a fan of him, and like who he's influenced, and so on and so forth, and it'll be packaged like an ego product like dope merch dope art dope music um you know and he was like hmm and at first it started off as like this three ep thing and then it like evolved into like a full-length album like eight songs so that's going to come this fall yeah what well, it came sooner but you know with the whole pandemic and not being able to go to tokyo oh yeah travel kind of messed up our plans <laughs> but the project is done i'm i'm excited about it well you mentioned your wife and and you now are a father um of almost three children <laughs> um how has parenthood changed you as a music executive i don't think it's is your connection to the music the same do you feel like you still have the same amount of time and interest and yeah it's all still sounds the same it all still sounds the same the only difference is that something will come on and I'll be like I don't want my kids listening to that <laughs> that's the only difference but other than that nothing's changed is there any do you have any issues do you feel like you know obviously being a music executive is a 24 hour a day job and yeah. whether it's Pusha yelling at you at nine in the morning about something or being in the studio till 4 a.m. with another artist or a producer that you work with. Um, how do you balance that with fatherhood and the family life? It's a balancing act. You just have to make time. So, you know, I think that, you know, number one, my wife, like, you know, she helps a ton, but also I think that because my hours of operation are like, you know, I don't go to sleep till like three or four in the morning. And my, my, I don't start really operating until the evening. And that's when the kids are asleep. So it's like during the day, I'm not really, I'm doing, I'm handling business, but that's not when my mind and my creative juices are flowing. They don't start, my mind doesn't start really going there until like after seven o'clock. So it's like calls and emails and Zooms yeah. and stuff. Which I can do with the, while the kids are around, especially like during this COVID period. But I don't really start getting into things until like after seven by that time the kids are asleep and i'm on the phone i'm researching i'm listening to music i'm kind of just going down different rabbit holes and like things are piquing my interest and i'm going from one place to another and i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about that and i just come up with these ideas at night how do you like to listen to music in my car always for the most part yeah do you like drive to listen to music or do you sometimes listen to music because you're driving both okay i always take the long road you know, you have a successful label. Yeah. Obviously, you are, you know, making moves now 
to fortify the next few years of yeah. that. What else do you want to do? Just more of the same. Not more of the same, but more of what I'm doing. So I would like to help more artists, whether it's in music, in the arts. Um, I just want to have impact in people's lives. Whether that goes through music or through art or whatever it might be. Um, like that's my ultimate goal. That's what drives me is being, in, being impactful within the arts. Thanks for checking out the Idea Generation podcast featuring Stephen Victor. Stephen's story highlights how you can learn from great mentors, how you can prove your value in any situation, and why following your heart is more important than following the money. Big thanks to our sponsors at Shopify. If you're looking to start your own online store, check out shopify.com ideas and become your own boss today. What is success? Uh, success to me is freedom to do whatever you want to do.